Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the TKW Podcast. We're back. We took uh, took an abrupt little siesta there. The season got to be too much, as I'm sure it did for everyone. I'm sure we're not the only ones to falter, but to all you people out there who stayed true and held on throughout that entire season, watched every game or as many as you could, we stand with you. But it's done. It's summertime. I'm here with Kyle Maggio. What's going on, my man? What's going on, everybody? Uh, happy to be back. Missed everyone. Missed my buddy Anthony here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian Giberman can't join us, unfortunately. He's at Coachella. Boy, you hate to see that. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, well, you follow me at uh, Corvo Anthony on Twitter. Follow Kyle at Kyle Maggio while you're at it. The Knicks Wall. Give us a follow. Head to the thenickswall.com. Uh, TKW Podcast. Yeah, yeah, I brought the uh, TKW podcast account out of hiatus tonight for the first time in weeks after bringing it back for the first time in weeks. So, we're doing all right. We're doing great. Um, we're here. We're at the finish line. We crossed it. The season ended uh, with a smackdown against the Pistons. I didn't watch that game. Did you watch it? Did Which you, game? The Pistons the, game? The Pistons game, the smackdown. I did not. No. Why? We knew it was coming. It didn't matter. Uh, We saw um, Isaiah Hicks play in his first game of the season. Oh, actually, sorry. Sorry, I was at the... Oh, yeah, that's right. You were at the game. I was at the game. Sorry. I don't know why that, for some reason, differentiated in my brain. I was thinking about watching it on TV. Yeah. I was at the game. Um, It was a weird garden crowd that night. Yeah, and nope. it was fan appreciation night, too, right? Yeah, no, nobody, nobody was really upset. It was just this really, like... I don't know how to describe it. Just a really strange, like, it was, it was a confused vibe. Like, some people, you could tell, were very disgruntled. Long season. Uh, they stunk it up that night. They just got crushed. And then other people were just like, you could tell, basically, like, you know, there, there was three or four chants that broke out for We Want Zion um, or just Zion in general. Um, I didn't really hear anything from Durant or Kyrie or anything, but... You can kind of tell where people's heads are at. Uh, it's where our heads are at. It's where they've been at, basically, since the calendar change of 2019. We're all thinking about what's to come in the offseason. So I don't really blame them, but it was a smackdown. Uh, I think everybody was just happy to be done with the year. Mitch and he was like his normal self. I don't think he recorded a block, and if he did, it was very late in the game. Yeah, and I said I said as soon as we got there, I was like, of co- I was like tonight, like, of course, like, of co- he's not going to get the blocks tonight. Like, we, we finally get here, and he's not going to get the blocks tonight. He threw down a bunch of dunks, though. He had, like, three or four really mean alley-oops. So, at least he gave us that much. Because uh, that guy, he loves dunking. Loves it. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I, you know, I didn't bother with it. I didn't, I was going to go to the game before that against uh, against Chicago. Uh, and I didn't even make it down to that. I was tracking the tickets for that game uh, throughout the day to see if I wanted to go. They got as low as 15 bucks a pop. I could have gotten 300th level row one for uh, like directly behind the basket for like $15 a ticket. And I said it still wasn't enough to compel me to go. That's incredible. So 
but yeah, I mean, it feels really, really relieving. Like, I never want to hear the name Emmanuel Moutier again. Like, ever. I'm, I'm like, July 1st, the, the calendar year for the NBA cannot turn over fast enough. I mean, we can look at this entire roster of players, and we'll, there's a few players like that, right? I mean, Moutier is top of the list for me. Do you have anybody like that on the team? Honestly, it's, it's probably just Moutier for me. His only probably fits in there, too, from an encore perspective. Yeah, but, but then he had to go ahead and I, become a fucking point guard at the end of the season. And, like, now... He, he did. He. I just really want to caution everybody listening and... Uh, as always, when I do this, I know I'm going to get slammed via comments or tweets or anything else. The games in March almost never matter. When you're a team this bad, they like games in March you already have to take with a grain of salt because this is right after the All-Star break. This is when a lot of teams kind of know they've locked up the playoffs, so they're about to. So there's not like that sense of urgency. For a couple of teams, sure, they're still fighting for seeding or uh, for the last couple of playoff spots, for sure. I'm not saying it's like all 30 teams, but um, a lot of weird shit historically has happened in the NBA with fringe guys in uh, March and in April that does not translate to the following season. I think Trey Burke being a big, not a big-time scorer, but, you know, he was really producing when he got here end of last season and eating and getting a lot of shots and being efficient, and then this year— wasn't the case when he played those games earlier in the year and he got plenty of opportunity, you know? So I, I just don't want to go nuts with people's late season performances. Like as a fan, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I, I like Mario as a person and a personality. I'd welcome him back as an end of bench guy on a really good team who doesn't play very often. Um, again, not Mario slander, but and in, in what we saw the whole year, there's not enough for me to put stock in those great games at the end. A lot of fun. And after a season like this, like you need random fun like that. It was enjoyable. I really had a blast watching him because you can see, uh, you know, we've always known the talent is there. He just hasn't thrown it together. But I just don't put too much stock on those end of end of the year games because we've seen like fringe Knicks just appear those last two months and then they just play really well or ball out. And uh, remember what what was his name? Uh Remember Baron from like 2000? I was like just about to say Earl Baron. That's Earl I Barron. thought that's who you were talking and, and about. He, he that's came a in crazy like, thing. Hold on, can we acknowledge something right there that you and I both were thinking of the name Earl Baron at the same time for a player? And like I know you were hinting at him and everything, but that's never happened. Two people have never thought of Earl Baron at the same time. No, no. So, uh, th- so that happened. I mean, you can see we've been doing this pod together for a while. That's our synergy. Oh, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, we've seen guys just come in and put up some monster numbers and then not get signed the next summer. It's not just a Knicks thing either. It's just a lot of teams, especially fringe teams. You know, guys kind of come in and they got to produce and they're trying to try out. And I just, it's fun to see. I, I enjoyed Earl Barron doing that too, but it's tough to really pitch to those guys as being a serious contender. So Moutier, um, glad he improved and had the most, it, again, it's not uh not an opinion. He had his most efficient and effective season of his career. But it's absolutely an insult to call somebody Earl Barron. Like, we're comparing Emmanuel Moutier to Earl Barron. No, I don't think that's fair either. I, I think, like, Hazonia, in all seriousness, is probably more apt for that. Even even that, he probably doesn't deserve it. But just from the sole perspective of producing late in the season when it doesn't matter. But Moutier who's Dan, actually... Who's the Dan Gazarik of this team? 
Oh, yikes. Uh, th this team might be... That's probably Isaiah Hicks. Yeah, I mean, it'd have to be Hicks or somebody who's perpetually inactive. Um, yikes. I, I, yeah, I mean, Hicks is pretty good, but... um. Didn't Gadzuri come back, like, three times, different times? I... I know he was there and waived in the 2012-13 season, I think. He was definitely there for a period. This is really, like, on the back end of my Knicks. Um, yeah, Dan Gadzarig is right about where it hits the outer rim. He's Dutch. I didn't know that. Did not know that either. But, uh, only uh, I don't know. I, I, two games for the Knicks. Two games. Yeah. So I, I wish Moutier well. He, he had a good... Uh, Efficient season in terms of his own career output. He he just did. Look at his numbers. The numbers were clearly better for him as an individual. I'm not talking about playing winning basketball or helping the Knicks, especially in the future or anything. I just mean solely uh, compared to Emmanuel Moutier the past three seasons, Emmanuel Moutier did better. It's just a fact. I, I hope he goes and continues to do that somewhere else. No, it's he, he, he did what he had to do, and I hope that somebody pays him, and hopefully that somebody's the Phoenix Suns so Brian can watch him uh, frequently. All right, well, before we dive into too much of the minutia of who's going to be departing this season, why don't we take a look at the snapshot of this year? Let's take a look at uh, let's take a look at the team leaders of all the players. There are, how many different players do you think uh, played on the Knicks this year altogether? Plus or minus 20? Plus. I'm going to I'm gonna take the over here. Maybe it's the bait, but I'm going to say it's like a low 20. It's going to be like 21 or 22. Oh, close. 23. Ah! Yeah. Uh, 20, 20, 23 different players have played for the next year between players getting waived and, uh, you know, trades and G League call-ups. And Lord knows there were G League call-ups. She uh, basically called up. My logic was they started the year with, what, 15 people? I wonder opening. if they set a record for that. No, I don't think they set a record because I remember, like, I think, what was it, last year, the year before, it was the Grizzlies or somebody else played, like, a zillion young kids. But, yeah, we had our 15 to start the year. You know, Baker, and then we had, you know, Kadeem Allen come up, John Jenkins come up, Hicks came back up, Cornette was here. Well, Cornette was on the opening season roster, too. But you know what I mean. There's a lot of people. A lot of Wesley people Matthews there. played two games. Wesley, Wesley Matthews wants to go he's a dick. I know we tweeted this out. Did you Who is a bigger dick, Dan Gazzarik or Wesley Matthews? Wesley Matthews, his impact. <laughs> uh, no, no, Wesley Matthews has, I think, the worst shooting percentage in Nick's history, or he's tied. I'm serious. I'm looking, he, he, I'm he, looking at it right now. He shot, he shot 21% from the field. It, it's the worst. It's the worst in Nick's history, I think. That's exactly. So, all right. So, our point per game leader for the 2018-19 season, in 46 games, playing 32.6 minutes per game, Tim Hardaway Jr. 19.1 points per game. That's just that's something that we predicted beginning of the year. Yeah, by a um, margin too. It's Moutier behind him at 14.8, and then Dennis Smith with 14.7. Well, I mean, we we basically knew going into the season because Mitch was going to be a question mark. We didn't know what to expect out of Trier. We didn't even know. Dotson was going to get an opportunity. So we kind of felt like, okay, well, by default, all the team's buckets are that the offense is going to run through like Cantor and it's going to run through Tim Hardaway Jr. We knew Timmy was going to be the one until KP got back, but you know, 
he sorry he who shall not be named everyone's gonna yell at me now but um I will I do want to say one thing about Timmy too and I'm gonna get in trouble again I'm just feeling it today yeah. I stand by my, I, I stand by my comment that I think he could be an effective basketball player and I stand by this despite the season that he had in New York because it, we later found out that he had that foot injury that was lingering for most of the season. And then he basically, the Mavs shut him down because of it. Well, that's kind of the thing. Like, I was with you until he got hurt again with the same fucking injury where I'm just like, oh, no, he's toast. There's no way. There's no way. But I started to think. So I was looking back at his career numbers. Remember, he had that same injury last year in December. Then he missed time. So I started looking at the numbers. And his numbers are actually shooting. That's what I mean, though. He's This has happened already. I I understand about the injuries. I'm not... Being injury-prone stinks, and that's a separate conversation. But, I mean, from a production standpoint, his numbers, his shooting numbers especially, were better um, before he hurt his foot, even last year. And then since he hurt his foot, he basically never shot the same again. So I wonder if— Well, that's um, that's what I'm thinking, like, with Boogie, too. I I, I don't even—I mean this in the nicest possible way. I don't even want to talk about Boogie. My heart hurts— for that guy, you know, you know, I'm a boogie stan. Um, I am just uh, distraught. I am let it just. I am saddened deeply that that I just thought he was gonna go and see. All he had to do was make it two months, win a title, and he was gonna get a max. Somebody was gonna give him a max. That's it. It was the perfect play. It was such a smart business play, and that poor motherfucker. Yeah, it's couldn't crazy. have just it's couldn't fucking... have just strained his thigh. He tore it, and he's out the duration of the playoffs. That is the saddest thing. He finally gets in, and he's out immediately. And not only is he out, now his livelihood is threatened at age twenty-eight. It yeah. is it is sad. It is sad. It is sad. It makes me very sad. Regardless of how you feel about him as a player or as a person, it makes me sad to see uh, somebody robbed of potential. It just it, it always stinks. It always stinks. I hate that. Well, I was I mentioned in the uh, in the points per game leaders, and then if you look at the uh, actually leading in assists per game, but second in points or third in points per game is Dennis Smith. Um, I have kind of a hot take about Dennis Smith. I think we should trade him. I know it's not the hottest take in the world, but I think we should trade Dennis Smith Jr. Well, it's not a hot take because it depends on the context. If you said Kyle. Kevin, you know, Kevin Durant isn't coming this summer. Kyrie isn't coming this summer. These are certainties. We're not getting Zion, whatever. Um, we should still trade Dennis Smith Jr. I would look at you very seriously and punch you in the throat. Because unless you're going to take John Morant in that situation, again, this is speculation because we don't even know what we're picking, you know, then it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But if you look at it and go, Kyle, we might get Kevin Durant. We might get Kyrie. We might get John Morant, whatever. Um, to me, like, you don't have to do anything with Dennis Smith Jr. until you have to. Like, he's just here. You could try him back out next season. So there's no rush. I don't, I don't disagree with you. It's just it, – it's all about when and what happens. Right. You know, I, it, I, I think, think it's it more – sense. My thought is that I think this is the right time to strike because I really don't see a scenario this summer where the Knicks don't end up with, like – at least one point guard that they really want to put their focus around. Like, 
like I really like whether it's you know they they don't get the number one pick and they end up getting uh, you know drafting John Morant or someone like that and you know they don't end up with Kyrie or Kemba but like they're still putting their focus on him I still think in that scenario you're best off to to trade Dennis Smith Jr. and shore up some of your other needs you know you know, where wherever the gaps may need to be filled in, whether you're just trading for like some extra money, or you're trading for a pick down the line or something like that, like I just think that his value is not going to be more than you're going to be getting for him right now. And I don't necessarily, I don't, I'm not a huge believer based on the sample that he showed last season. He did struggle like for, for you know a significant amount of his time they came to New York in. And I'm not out on Dennis Smith Jr. I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's a bust or anything like that. I'm just like. You know, I'm not convinced yet at this point. If I'm not convinced, you know, I know it's a small sample size, but I think this is when you got to you got to try to pounce on his value. So I am half in and half out on what you said. As far as being sold on him and not sold on him, I I don't really blame you for having either opinion. Um, I think there's obvious, you know, parts of his game that he could work on, most notably his uh, shooting touch. And I think for any guard, that's a very big, valid concern. I will say that his shooting numbers outside of his time in New York were largely passable, despite his funky jump shot. So, and I mean, his jump shooting numbers, not his overall field goal percentage and everything He's else. Very clearly a step above any other, uh, you know, prospect the Knicks have on their roster or other yeah. than Mitchell Robinson. So, right so, so my stance with him, obviously, is I, I really like Dennis. And I think when you have a guy who, um, there's this misconception that he's a, a scoring guard only for some reason. And, um, you know, he's very adept at passing. You know, he he's made a number of really heads-up plays. He keeps his head up a lot. When he drives, typically he's looking to kick out. And we saw a lot of times where he'd get in by the basket and he'd, you know, kick out to the other side of the court for a three. To, uh, a lot of times it was Knox or Dotson. And he can really fucking pass the ball. And I think people don't give him enough credit for that. I don't know why. I just think when we see an athletic scoring guard, we think you just you're going to get three or four assists a game. But I mean, he he was really diamond a lot of those games. Yeah, I, so, I definitely, especially when his shot wasn't really working. He did have she like he showed the ability to be able to turn that switch and and move into more of a facilitator. Um, and right. that's something we definitely haven't been able to see as seeing players do both those things. Right. And as far as like his, you know, the other issues, because I know he he did he. It was up and down since he got here, but he also did kind of struggle with injuries since he got here. He's been in and out of the lineup and missing time. And towards the end, it was the back and he missed some real time with the back. And so my point is, I, I think he's actually fine, but I don't agree that his trade value is, is really good right now. Cause remember he just came out, he's on the worst team in the league and that's not his fault. He kind of got dumped there, but on top of that, he had a back injury that kind of hampered him. And back injuries, we know how they could be. And we heard it was a, a disc issue, and he's got to get it worked on. So, I mean, he missed the last yeah. game of the year. And I, I I was there before the game courtside, and we were watching him shoot. And, and I have some videos. and his. I mean, he looked okay. But even still, back injuries are no joke. So, I don't know that it's the right time, I guess. I'm not opposed to trading him despite my uh, infatuation with him as a player and, and my belief in him as a player. But I do think, obviously, if you, if you get Kyrie, like, I don't really think it's a good idea to keep Dennis. Like, if Dennis wants to stay and he's like, 100%, I'm down to be the sixth man, like the super sub, like, 
play me 30, 33 minutes a game off the bench. I don't care. Whatever you got to do, I'm here to play with this team. If that happens, cool. Obviously, it's a big help. He's very talented. But um, I also want to be opposed if Kyrie came and he was, you know, maybe not fond of it or whether or not he was. If the team was like, hey, uh, you're a really good asset. We're going to go flip you for some shit. Or we're going to go send you with Kevin Knox and maybe a pick and, and you're going to go to new Orleans to play with Anthony Davis. Like, well, see, I, that's, I, that's what's re- I, I've been thinking I, I about. Would, like, obviously I wouldn't be opposed. You know what I mean? So it dep- yeah. for me, it depends. It's like a wait and see, you know, I don't want to, I wouldn't do anything now. I don't think there's a, a rush to anything now or, or, or as soon as the season ends, I think you just got to wait. And, and, and if things break your way, if you get Zion, okay, well right there, you didn't draft John Moran. So you still need a guard. Okay. So Dennis stays next step is free agency. You know, Okay, you got you got Durant, but you didn't get Kyrie. Well, now you have Zion and you have Durant. You still need a guard. We'll keep Dennis. You know what I mean? It, it, like it depends for me. That scenario that you just drew up though is is interesting. I, I you know, not I don't know if necessarily Anthony Davis is the the end all prize of that combo, but like, you know, moving the young guys. Like if we do end up with Kevin Durant, and you know, just based on Lord what we have seen so far. From uh, you know, especially after that sixty minutes interview the other day, uh, and the uh, the whole Steph Curry Tiger thing and the the drama with him and Kerr right now, like things are looking really, really in our favor right now. Um, I'm a happy guy, but you know, if that does happen, and, and you know, Kyrie shows up and or Kemba shows up, either one of those guys, or you know, the the scenario happens where there are these two mega you know talented players who come and play in the Knicks. I really have been kind of thinking about it. All right, what do you do with, like, what do you do with Kevin Knox and, and you know, Dennis Smith and, you know, Neil Aquino? You know, it might be a whole other conversation at this point. But, uh, you know, does it make sense to even keep these uh, these young guys around? Like, when we're going to be grooming, when we're trying to develop this roster, you know, we're trying to figure out exactly how we want these guys to play together. and We're trying to figure out, you know, w- what we have to get and build around these star players. So, Dennis Smith Jr., yeah, he might be a little good in a six-man role, but is that really ideal when we could go ahead and get somebody else to, that would might work better or somebody else in the, that might look better in that uh, in that spot, you know, assisting these other guys? I just, I wonder if in order to get the ideal team that we're looking for next year, if we if it just kind of has to be a feasibility that we got to move on from these young guys. So... I'll be the bad guy and I'll take everyone being angry at me in the comments and we'll just move from here. So I'm going to start. Um, if the Knicks sign Kevin Durant and the Knicks sign Kyrie Irving, I would drive the kids to New Orleans myself if New Orleans were to accept a deal to get Anthony Davis. Now, I understand what you're saying. Mitchell Robinson looks really good. Oh, well, Mitchell Robinson, wow, very, very good. And I believe in him and want him to be a Nick for a very, very long time. And do not get this twisted. If we ran this out next summer and it was Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving, I would think that's a terrifying three-way, uh, three-headed monster that you have all the interior rim protection and lobs. I mean, Kyrie and Durant are going to be chucking lobs. Then he's going to have 14 points a game off of lobs. Um, they, I, I, I would love it. I would love it. I, and I almost hope that that's what happens. But at the same time, if you're signing a Kevin Durant, you're signing a Kyrie Irving, you're doing so to win a championship and to win one soon. I think everybody would agree on that. You know what I mean? You're not signing a Kevin Durant and a Kyrie Irving to wait for Kevin Knox to develop in two more years. 
or wait for Alonzo Trier to come along as a guard or to wait for Datsun to develop into, you know, a really legitimate three and D wing threat. Like, I, and he's, he's getting there. I believe in Dot. Everybody knows that, but you see what I mean? Like progress, there's a progression that takes time. When you sign guys who are age 31, like a Durant, and he's going to be your bona fide top option. And that's the only guy that's really been rumored to be locked in. The Kyrie stuff is still a lot of smoke, despite what we've seen. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, if you get a Kyrie and you, and you get a, a Durant, like, you have to maximize your window. That's the way I look at it. Like, it's not the worst thing in the world that they kept the kids. Of course not. Of course not. These are good picks. I believe in them. But I think, yeah, if you can, if you can get a third star, we see that that's how the league works. Like, I know that fans have finally bought into uh, the rebuild and doing this the right way, and we don't care how long it takes. And that's great. That's the right mindset to have. But circumstances change. Plans change. And evidently, uh, there's a – the worst-kept secret in the NBA is Durant coming to New York this summer. It's either that or the greatest troll job in NBA history. So if I, that's really the case, then – listen, we, we've been bad for how long? Got like – like, if, if you're getting a Durant, you go all fucking in and figure out the rest later. I'm not saying make rash, bad decisions, but, I, I mean, to me, it's pretty obvious. You know, we know that this was the worst team in the league with those kids. Had they been a little bit better or overachieved to a degree, maybe I cool it a little bit. But to me, you got to get Durant the most talent he can. He's 31. He's going to have a window for the next four or five years that he's here. You got to take advantage and win as many titles in that time as you can. Obviously, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but that's my take. As much as I love the kids, what I'm my whole thinking is, you know, very much along the same lines. It, it's, you know, it just might not be a good fit. Like it just might not work. Like you can't. It's hard to say that you can devote resources one way or another. And it's like you're saying, like we've been bad for 20 years or so. You know, it's like the last 20 years. You know, since the the 90s teams when they demanded some, like you know demanded some respect and, you know, there's moments in between and everything like that for sure. But, you know, it's largely because it's like, okay, rush to the next solution, put a bandaid on this, you know, buy the most expensive bandaid you can get and put it over your problems. Uh, and now we finally get this fan base and this organization to agree to a slow burn. And now we're ready to kind of, we're ready to torch that shit. We can't like, it's good that we're here because there's other, there are like other avenues that this team could go down. I feel like there are more options. We're more prepared to go down a route where we can pursue and, and just, big, I, big free agents and big players. And it's like, you know, correct, previously correct. we could never get to that point because we were never holding on to, we were always just chasing our own tail around. Yeah. And the other thing I just want to point out too, guys is please just look at the success rate for draft picks in the NBA. All three of these guys are not going to turn into our I will change that because takes are vicious in 2019. These guys are more likely to not all become stars. Like that's that's just how the odds work. I think the odds of getting like a like an all-star caliber player via the draft is like 15% or something. So 85% of the guys that get drafted are just regular players or worse, like a standard starter or worse. So my logic is if you got to cash in a couple of pieces, and I think maybe if you traded, let's say, everything but Mitchell Robinson, something like that. Like everyone's on the table, Kevin Knox, Frank, whatever, um, just not Mitch. Like 
okay, I don't know that I'd be opposed. You know what I mean? Like, you're sort of playing the odds game, too. And I know that when we are fans of a team, we overvalue our own guys a little bit. We believe in them more than anybody else. It's harder to move on from them. We get attached to them. We want guys. That's just fandom in a nutshell. We always want guys to be drafted by our team and stay with our team and love our team and uh, ultimately be very successful. But the chances of that happening, at least for the NBA, aren't really that good. So if you identify who the good player is early, like maybe Mitch, Mitch is getting it and developing quickly and he's turning into a monster. Okay, well, maybe you found the one guy you keep and you play the odds and move the rest. Like, I'm just trying to, it's not a, I, I don't like any of the kids. It's just playing the numbers game. It's just how that works. So if you got to cash in a, you know, if you're playing those odds to get an Anthony Davis, like that's, that's a good move objectively, no matter how much you believe in those kids. So that's my take. And I know, I know I'm not going to get everyone to agree with me, but that's my take. Let's say we're not trading the kids. Let's say we're holding on to a cut. Well, we're not going to sell the farm. Let's say we hold on to Kevin Knox. And, you know, it's all signs indicate at this point we are. There's no talks for him to be moved so far. There, you know, we haven't gotten anywhere like that yet. But, uh, you know, let's say we, we hang on to Kevin Knox and he becomes and everything else does go right. They do get, you know, a significant pick next year and they do get Kevin Durant and they do get whoever that second star is. But Kevin Knox now becomes his role shifts significantly from what it was this year whether you're talking about his struggles or his successes or you know wh- or wherever he was in between you know Kevin Knox is now not going to be looked at as a you know proto face of the franchise playing you know almost 40 minutes a night taking you know up to 20 shots a game in his rookie year he's going to be more of an auxiliary off the bench wing player who's going to have to get used to playing you know you know 20 minutes a game, 25 minutes a game, taking maybe, maybe nine shots a game, 10 shots a game. Um, you know, I wonder how he adjusts into a role like that. Yeah, I, I think, and, and again, stay with me. This isn't about my disbelief in Knox or anything because I think he's going to be a very good player. Um, the end of the season, and again, I know I just said don't put too much stock in those numbers, and you should not put too much stock on those numbers, but I noticed an encouraging trend. He played less minutes to finish the year than he was. He played a lot of minutes in like January and February. And then from March onward through the end of the season, uh, it decreased. And I think he was playing pretty typically under 30 minutes, like high 20s between like 24 and 27 a night. And his efficiency rose. And a lot of that's just him being a kid. And, you know, not being strong enough yet to, to get through a game. And that's not really his fault, which is why I don't blame him for, like, the terrible efficiency numbers. It's it's tough as a rookie. I get it. Especially when you're when you're long and lanky like that. You're still growing into your body. He's still only 19 years old after a full NBA season. So um, I think that would help him maybe. I don't think it's like a like a demotion or anything, you know what I mean? Like, if you're playing with talented players, let's say, next season, there should be no shame if you're Kevin Knox and coming in and being a sixth or seventh man and playing, like, 25 really good minutes a night. 
Right. There's no I shame in that. Like that, that to me actually helps his development game to play behind maybe someone who's a little bit better than him, who's really actually, you know, all-star talent. And I think that helps him because he can now come along at his own pace without getting exhausted and gassed and hurt and beaten down. He can just come in, you know, foot on the gas, do what he's got to do. And I think that's going to help him in other areas like defensively and um, just his rebounding, like just his energy in general. If he knows he has a little less time to play, you're, you're going to want to give it that, your all. That's, in that's what I'm wondering, because like if he I think that, yeah, you're right. Like playing less minutes will probably be I don't think he's going to look at it as a demotion. And, like, he's never, you know, throughout the whole rookie year, I mean, he's been an absolute professional in every manner and how he's handled his struggles and how he's, he's exactly addressed the right struggles mindset. of the team and everything. You know, he's really been great with that. That's That's been phenomenal. Um, so I, I don't worry about that. I just, like, is he the kind of guy who needs to be, you know, running around taking a lot of shots a game and, you know, really being a focal point in the offense in order to thrive is what I'm wondering. And, you know, I... I I, I don't think that he's shown any reason why he couldn't, you know, do well in less minutes, but he's also just shown points where he becomes totally invisible in the game, regardless of how long he plays. Well, and that's when he really needs to shore up. I mean, that's also, he's a rookie. He's, you know, I, I'm not defining his career in any means at this point, but he, you know, his moments of invisibility were pretty telling on the court at points last year. So him doing that in a lesser role may hurt the team a little bit less, but I, I don't know how it's going to help this development at all. Last thing I'll say on him is another thing I noticed, and I, I have to go back and do my research on it to confirm, but it seemed like whenever he was playing with Dennis Smith Jr., like an actual talented NBA player, uh, like a regular good player, especially at that position, it seemed like he was very comfortable just catching and shooting. It seemed like he knew where to be, like he was flaring up on the wing and, you know, curling up to come up and, and rotate to the top of the key sometimes or just kind of in that direction. And um, he was getting good looks. You know, Dennis would cut basically or drive and then Kevin would go where the defender wasn't. And Dotson did this a lot, too. And they got a lot of really easy catch and shoot shots. And I wonder, I don't know that he needs to be the focal point is what I'm thinking. I think that he has a game where if he needs to, I think down, down the road, you know, once he develops his body a little bit more, maybe his touch gets used to the contact, builds some strength. I think, yeah, he'll get there. But I think for right now, I, he's shown the ability to be a good catch and shoot three point shooter. Um, he's shown the ability to kind of have the wherewithal to know where to be in those situations. And I, I'm starting to think he could play off the ball just fine. I, I know I'm starting to think now, you know, a lot of times where he was attacking and being the initiator on offense, there wasn't a ball handler on the floor or at least a good one. So they're trying to run through him to get him his reps and get him some looks and be a focal point of the offense. But um, if he's playing with other talented players, then I think that he can kind of pick and choose when he does that for uh, versus being forced into it more often than not. And normally when, when you're a young player like that, that kind of has a, a good effect on the rest of your game. So I'm encouraged kind of in any situation with Kevin. I, I'm starting to feel like with who they're rumored to sign and who they're rumored to be uh, interested in trading for, that he won't be on this team very long. And that makes me sad as somebody who spent a whole season uh, talking myself into him and, and believing in him. But um I think he'd be fine if he ended up staying next year. And like, let's say Durant came and nobody else. And 
they didn't make the Anthony Davis trade, something like that. Like if he was on this team behind Durant, I think that that's fine. I think he'd fit in. And if they needed him to take over, be a little more aggressive, we've seen him be able to do that too. I'm not really that worried. I just don't know what the results would be early in his career. Do you think he could thrive a little bit like, uh, like Alonzo Trier has this year? You know, Trier has really shown. I mean, he has his games where he doesn't Trier's, necessarily show Trier's up. He's polished. a rookie. Like, like Trier looks like he's he's strong and comfortable in his body. Like, he knows what he's yeah. doing. Like, yeah, Knox, I, to I me, looks like a guy who, who just got that body. A lot of times when I watch him, he looks like he was me today and then woke up tomorrow, and he was six foot ten, Kevin Knox, and he's still trying to figure out what to do. Because he does have a lot of smooth components to his game like a guard, but then you see him just kind of lost and flailing at times too. So I, I don't know that. And I mean, I, not, you know, Trier is four years older than Knox too. And, it, but it's like, it's also just, I wonder if he, in that same kind of position, like Trier just seemed to be able to really activate it when he got his minutes. Like he would, you know, make himself known on the court and he, he would take advantage of his opportunities. And we don't always get that from Knox. So that's a comparison that I kind of, I'm looking at right now. If, you know, if Alonzo Trier, it could be if Kevin Knox would kind of model his time on the court and his minutes to, you know, uh, taking the same kind of approach that Trier has been to be effective in his uh, limited role this season. I think that's going to be the key for him, you know, moving forward with the team. I agree with that much about his approach. I think that's um, the way he can get it. So, but like the only way that we're going to be able to get that approach is if the coach allows that to happen. You know, David Fisdale. We're now talking about a different kind of team for Fisdale to be coaching than when we than when he was first hired. You know, at, at it, you know it's kind of a radically different approach where he was hired to just be that you know for my understanding to be that enthusiastic, uh, you know, really hyping his guys up kind of coach who was going to take a bunch of young players and reclamation product projects with probably not a ton of confidence in the league. And be able to bring out the best of them, mostly through just being positive around them. Um, and then, you know, there there is the rumors of his defense, which we didn't see a ton of this season, whether it's on him or, or somebody else. It's still kind of up in the air. But, you know, do we think that Fiz, that, that kind of approach from Fizdale is going to be enough when it comes time to actually be, you know, potentially contending if we get to that point when... You know, if, if is he going to be the kind of guy that we can lead a team who's got you know some of the top free agents from the summer on it? I think so, and it's not even because I'm really all that high on Fizz after the season. I, I, anybody who listens Brian's to this gonna podcast, Brian's going to hate us for doing this with Adam, by the way. Yeah, no, I and listen, everybody who listens to this knows like I, I love Fizz. I wanted him hired. I've been very vocal about that. I still stand by. I think he'll figure it out next season. <laughs> He just didn't give us a lot this year. And I don't really give a shit about the defense. I'll be quite honest with you. Despite the Mitch thing that he figured out late in the year. um, This was a bad team. And we knew it was going to be a bad team. And none of the players on this roster, aside from Mitch, who in the beginning of the year, he couldn't stay in games. And we barely knew what he was doing on the court. And Frank, who either was a ghost or would give you two good games and then disappear or missed half the season because of injury. Like there wasn't a lot of defensive personnel. It was like, Dame, like by the end of the year, it was like Dame Dotson, Mitchell Robinson and Kadeem Allen playing defense. You know what I mean? It's like, you're not going to win a lot of games. If you know, three of your players are the, are the good defenders and you know, two of the, well, one of those guys was in the G league the whole year. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not conducive of a good team. Um, it's just not built for that. 
what I'm really disappointed with, my gripe was I just didn't see um, the offensive system. And I know Brian's made the point about maybe Fizdale's a, a like a star players coach where it's just like, you know, there is no system. It's just the star player comes in and you play to his strengths, whoever that is. And I think that's actually a really fair point. But at the same time, uh, I'm a little disappointed because when he got hired to do Memphis, there was a very clear change the first year and, and the way that they played their play style. You know, they took significantly less mid-range. They took significantly more threes. They jumped from, like, near the end of the league in threes or, like, in the mid-20s, and they were suddenly, like, in the teens. They were, like, a like a 12th or 14th in the NBA, at least shooting three-point attempts. And to me, I was a little disappointed because that didn't happen here. So I just don't get – and I'll, he, the, the Knicks always get compared to the Nets. I'm not trying to do that. But Kenny Atkinson, like – came in and put a system down. And Fisdale did that same thing when he went to Memphis. So I'm just confused why he didn't do that here. And I made the point that I think some of it was on purpose to like just really lean into the developmental shit, like making Trier play point guard or, you know, things like that. Uh, a lot of times with Knox, we saw him giving Knox the exact same kinds of plays. Like Knox was really comfortable with the dribble handoff um, on the wing. And he would go, it'd be like a little side pick and roll kind of thing. And then they would just let him go and get a full head of steam towards the rim. And so I wonder how much of it was just intentional to like get the rookies, their reps or lead guys to do things versus he just didn't want to put in a system. So I'm, I'm just really confused given the context of the season. And I don't know that it's really fair to judge. I just think it's fair to be a little bit disappointed that we didn't see more, but it's obviously not really a fair judgment because I don't want to make it sound like he's going to be a star players coach when, well, in Memphis, we saw him install a system successfully and turn Marcus all into the three point shooter. And, you know, they are really buzzing offense. Like so, something's missing for me. So I, to me, I'm, it's not as simple as he's an idiot and didn't install a system mm -hmm. like so, something to it's somewhere in the middle. I, yeah. I think is the point. It's and inconclusive for me. He's just also like, you know, I, it's, I feel two ways about seeing him where he is now. Like, we're seeing David Fizzell at the bottom right now. 17 wins, and we've seen his enthusiasm for the team be strained at a couple of points this season. I mean, the, the Neil Aquina situation, by the end of it, he was just sounding tired of it. You know, yeah, he was giving the same kind of response at the end of the season to them, constantly losing games and just being like, you know, day-to-day, -day, you know, we're focusing on this player, that player, everything like that. And it... As a, in the moment, it's not always the most encouraging, but like at the same time, I don't think we're ever going to be at this point again with him as a coach. So, you know, it's really only up from here. And I think that the better that the team can get with him in charge, I think the better he's going to be able to run the team. So I, I feel like I'm more okay with sticking with him for a little bit longer because I think he's really a guy who's going to grow with the team. And, you know, Maybe the Knicks thought they were getting a little bit more of an immediate payoff from their coach at the beginning who could kind of like earn a couple of wins on what would be a broken season for sure. But I definitely do think there's still potential for Fizdale to, you know, be at least a leader with this team. Yeah, and the last thing with, with um, Fizdale is we can't do this thing where if we don't see results year one, especially in the context of a season like this, we get angry and go, well, the coach needs to go. Like, not, not for nothing, guys. Like, I might be a little bit disappointed I didn't see an offensive system. But what coach was going to win that many more games with this team, even if 
you optimize the offensive system. You know what I mean? Like, how many more games are we really talking about here? How much more successful would somebody have been? Like, and I've made this point to other people. Like, when a team decides to tank, it's not Fizdale tanking. It's not Fizdale making tanking decisions game to game. Fizdale's probably trying his best to win or at least put his most talented players, who were probably the rookies in his opinion, um, in positions to play more. And, and be successful. You know, like Knox got a lot of reps this year. He was their lottery pick. That That's a good look in my opinion. But he left some things to be desired. But I just, we can't do this thing where every year we call for a coach to get fired either. Like, at least wait for him to get some actual players. Like, if he gets Durant next season, and I, I don't even care who else, if he gets Durant next season and he's still doing shit like this, where it's just everything's like ISO heavy, there's not a lot of movement in the offense. It looks just like Jeff Hornacek's Knicks, you know, where they would dump the ball to KP in the, the, the mid to high post and let him shoot a contested sh- Like, if it's some shit like that, yeah, I'm going to be pissed. Then I'll make a judgment. But, I mean, this team stunk. This team was a bad team. The front office signs those guys. The front office makes the decision to tank. You know what I mean? They signed the guys. They signed the talent. They could have spent, you know, X amount of dollars on, on whoever. They could have paid a little more they they chose to sit pat and wait for the kp thing to to figure itself out and it is what it, like you know what you were getting when he's when he traded for moody you knew what you were getting when he signed his own you knew what you were getting when you when you signed uh von lay to the last training day contract uh the training camp contract like you knew what you were getting with this team is my point you knew where you would kind of end up so i just don't to me like as much as i'm not thrilled with what Fiz, uh, fizzdale did this season it's like yeah, of course, at least he gets another year. Give him a year with a real team. He should get three years, in all honesty, barring like a train wreck next year with a with a really talented team. But um, I, I just don't think it's fair. I just think we, we've watched basketball, bad basketball for so long, and especially after a season like this, and then you hear about things coming up next. You get anxious, you know, you get anxious, but it's not it's not right either, in my opinion. We can't you, you can't fire a guy every year. We're never going to be happy. We're never getting anywhere that way. All right. Before we get out of here today, we did have a question. Um, It comes from Dragon Emoji at Kev Knox burner. Is there any scenario where Knicks would trade down? Kind of like Hawks, Mavs did last year. We moved down two spots, one to three, two to four, et cetera. And a team like Celtics can move up along with giving us their draft pick and a pick next year. Um, so I'd imagine maybe we think of this in the scenario where the Knicks end up at two or three, I think would be the most realistic thing. I think there's a case for it if we're at two, you know, I think maybe you move down to, yeah, you can go down from like two to five and there'd still be some pretty stellar players there and you can get a pick for next year. But at the same time, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of at this draft kind of just wanted to, you know, knock out the best available talent we can get and then really just get on with, you know, loading up on, on, you know, big time players and and valuable players and not worrying so much about building through the draft from there. So I don't know. I, 
it's really hard to decide which one is the more optimal route because more assets is never a bad thing either. But um, right now, I'm think I'm, I think I'm leaning at if you get the number two or the number three pick, you just keep it. Yeah, I kind of agree. Um, I definitely think, obviously, there's always the right package. There's always the right price available. So if you're at two and someone offers you a Kings, like if the Suns are, you know, have the the third or the fourth pick and you know they need a point guard, you know they need a point guard, and they're going for John Moran if they could have get Zion, right? Um, yeah, like if they're going to they're gonna throw just a ton at you for the second pick and, and you drop to the third or fourth or whatever, like, yeah, I think that's a good move. You go scoop RJ Barrett, you, you, you get a couple more picks or a good young player, you call it a day. Like, yeah, sure. But um, I, I I don't know. I mean, it's, it's tricky. You know, like the, the Luca Trey thing, like he referenced that that's fair. That's actually pretty good. But I'm kind of with you. I, I, they're, they're so bad and free agency is not a guarantee. I just think if you're two or three, you keep the pick, you take whoever you think is the best player available and you call it a day and you try to figure out another trade down the line with somebody else. But I, I don't think you need to, if, if, they're, if they get the fourth or fifth pick, I a hundred percent want them to trade it. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want any parts of uh, Cam Reddish. I know people are high on Culver and I like him. I just don't know how much I like him as the fourth pick in a kind of weak draft. So I prefer if they, if they didn't go fourth or fifth, I hope they trade it. If it's top three, you know, two or three is the only way they trade it. But if at the any, same time, I don't want to, I don't want to keep on deferring back trade like draft picks. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to just like, you know, I, I don't want to draft, you know, like another Kevin Knox or Frank Nielakina. Like not to say that those players aren't going to pan out one way or another, but just, I, I'm really hoping that the Knicks shoot for, a player of a higher ceiling right now. Um, and otherwise, you know, the pick is kind of not, it's more valuable to me at that point being moved for a player who can contribute right now. I don't necessarily want more mid tier pick packages in the future either. That's not, you know, that wouldn't be my first goal to look at if I'm the GM of the Knicks right now. But, you know, I think, yeah, I think there's kind of a top three, mentality going on right now and then beyond that you can get a little bit more creative with it and i'm just not as particular with with what to do with that asset i suppose it's never a bad thing to have more assets like if they, got, if they got the second like you said that before you know if they, they got the second or third pick and they traded back and got you know three picks out of it like it, are people going to be mad that they didn't draft ja or draft rj of course there's going to be people who are mad but it's not like they didn't draft Ja to draft, you know, Hunter at two. It, right. They they still got assets. Like it's not a. It's the way. It's kind of the way I felt about the KP deal in the end, where I was just like, all right, I, I still don't love it, but they got assets. Like at worst, I can only be like a little disappointed. You know what I mean? Right. It's there like, was a at, return at the very. There, there there was a return and it was fair. So the draft trade would probably be similar, where I'd be like. Not what I would have done, but I'm also not going to bitch. It's not really a bad decision either. Just one that I didn't like. It's just also really deflating to trade away a draft pick uh, that you've literally just won 17 games to to attain. Uh, but yeah. I think it. But I think we'll already have all of that out of our system by the time we end up with the you know the fifth pick in the draft. So now let me ask you. We have two more questions remaining. We'll make these quick. I know we 
dove in on that one a little bit. This is from. Um, I'm going to let you enunciate the last name because I've said this in my head a few times. Where, where, where is this? I, I, saw, I only saw one uh, question. No, no, I, I, I quote tweeted uh, the TKW tweet, the pod tweet. Oh, gotcha, so, gotcha, gotcha. so it's the first re- the first reply. Okay, hold on, hold on, oh, hold on. Okay, here we go. Well, I'll start with the first one while you're doing that. So it's from Dark Kent Jr. and that's at Native Sun Forty Five. It says, Frank or Dennis Smith Jr., which one projects as a better option going forward? Underrated, New York Knicks subplot, agree or not? Uh, I disagree. I just, we, we know how I feel with Frank at this point. Very frustrated, and I believe in Dennis, Jun- uh, Dennis Smith Jr.'s potential more. Um, you can make the point that a Durant and Kyrie team would need players like Frank, and I think that's an excellent point. So it's contextual, this question, in my opinion, but... Um, if we're just picking straight up in the future and we have nothing else to go off of, no guarantees, no Durants, nothing, I would go Dennis Smith Jr. pretty easily at this point. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. This is going to – I'm going to get yelled at again. I, I just, I've embraced it on this podcast. Uh, best First skill is availability, and the other thing is you actually have to produce. As much as I love Frank and I believe in his potential, he just hasn't really done either. So um, We're at the same point with how valuable we think Frank is right now. Um I, I definitely am the league, the league and people in general more, you know, ebb towards your, where you're, where you stand on Frank Nilakina than where I necessarily stand. But, um, I, I kind of, I agree with everything you're saying and then still want to go the other way. And it's not because I, I still do think that Frank deserves another year to prove what he can do. Um, it's more because I think that, you know, what we were talking about earlier in the show that Dennis Smith Jr., you know, has a little bit more valuable is, you know, he has a little bit more value than what you're going to get for Frank Nielakina right now. So I would rather at this point, put the bigger chip in and get the bigger return out of it rather than just move Frank for, you know, pennies on a dollar at this point. And I think there's a good player in there somewhere with Frank. I just don't know what he has to do to figure it out. And I just uh, don't see like how you get any player that's, you know, so valuable for Frank net right now that isn't worth, that you know that it's worth not just waiting around to see what he becomes next year. Like he's re- he's not taking up that much room, he's not taking up that much money, and honestly, you've justified at that point if he's not producing to just not play him. But this just still feels a little bit premature. Yeah, I mean, he, my my big thing with him for a while has been he he needed to help his own cause when he was healthy, and he just didn't do it enough. Period. Um, I know. I wish he would have had a longer leash to play through that. I agree. Uh, See, but I, I think he I does. Don't... I think overall he does. Like, I don't think he necessarily needed to show more there because I think that he shouldn't necessarily, that next year, I feel like we're a year ahead on him. We're like, this coming year really should be the time when we're more thinking, hey, man, you got to show something. Otherwise, you know, we, we got to do something with you. It's, look, it's possible. I hope he. I hope he's back next year. I hope they don't trade him. I think having a young guy like that who's oh, a lot of everything. Yeah, I mean, he's going to get traded. That's the way I feel. That's my hunch. I, I don't want him traded. I just think he's going to. And um, thanks. I wish him best if if he if that it does happen. I think he's a really good kid. And he's going to land on his feet and develop somewhere. But uh, I just don't know if it's going to be here. Um, they just don't seem to make him a priority like they do for other players. And it is what it is. But our last question. Yeah, I'm going to go Did- Mike Plug on this one. I'm going to go hard G and say the H is silent. 
Okay, uh, I'm glad you took the stance. Yeah, this I got is a good, this, this is a good Twitter buddy that I, I talk to occasionally. I just did not want to push his name as yeah, I do I'm with everyone. Mike Plug. If he says it's otherwise, you know, add us. We got you. Um, yeah. Assuming the Knicks get all three of Kyrie, KD, and Zion, which jersey should I should a person buy, and by what criteria should any individual decide? What's the thought hey. process? Yeah, I'd like to ask you uh, off the record, but live on the podcast. Yeah. Am I? Am I allowed to slam the table if I want to make an, an emphatic point? Uh, no. Your mic is on the table, correct? Can I slam like a wall? Yes. To give the effect? Yes. Okay. Hold on. You buy all three. You buy all three jerseys. <laughs> you do it immediately. Uh, you don't hesitate. As soon as Zion gets drafted, you pre-order the jersey. As soon as KD signs, you pre-order the jersey. As soon as Kyrie signs, you pre-order the jersey. And if the pre-orders aren't available, you custom make them yourself, and you get the good ones, the authentic ones that are $180, sometimes upwards of $200. You spend the money. You want to know why? Because we've waited years for the perfect scenario. We've waited years to go, okay, no matter what, we're going to see five years of good basketball. Maybe it's not great. Maybe things don't go our way, but it's going to be good. We haven't had a guarantee like that in a while. The mellow stuff was, okay, we got mellow, but it took a lot to get him here. Now we got to navigate out of it. Then they had the one good year of navigating out of it, dove right back in when they traded for Barks. If they get locked up, you have three or four years guaranteed of player control with Zayed. You have a four-year max with Kevin Durant, a four-year max with Kyrie Irving. You buy the jerseys. You just you buy them all. We, we won't get this opportunity again. You have to not take it for granted. Don't be a penny pincher. That's why they make credit cards. Sure, will you pay a little bit of interest if you can't afford it? Absolutely. But is it worth it in the long run? Positively. You buy all three. No question. I have no follow-up to that. Uh, Do what he says. Thank you for slamming the wall instead of the table. I appreciate that. That's why I asked, buddy. Um... Alrighty, man. Well, I think that's gonna it's gonna do it for us. I gotta wrap this thing up. Um, everyone, thanks for tuning back in. We missed you. Uh, thanks for sending in your questions, everyone who did. Uh, give us a follow on you know on, on Twitter at the Knicks Wall at Corbo Anthony at Kyle Maggio uh, at TKW Podcast and head to the KnicksWall.com. We have tons of draft coverage coming up right now and. Believe me, if you didn't watch a minute of the tournament like I, like me, if you were me, that's the place where you're going to want to get filled in for uh, for the upcoming draft. Uh, subscribe on YouTube. What's going on, YouTube folks? Um, and that's going to pretty much do it for us. So uh, we'll talk to you all on Sunday. Okay.